If you would please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, as we consider a text that is well known at this time of the year. Trust that our time here this morning will be profitable. We'll be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20 this morning. So we'll begin reading in verse 1. Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he tells us, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, The shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen, just as had been told them. Now, as we consider this familiar passage this morning, we'll do so under, under three main points. First of all, the circumstances. The circumstances under which our Lord was born. We'll see this in verses 1 through 7. And secondly, we want to consider the announcement that is made to the shepherds, verses 8 through 14. And then thirdly, we want to consider the responses of the shepherds, the responses, uh, the response of Mary after the angel had made this announcement and they had gone to Bethlehem and so forth. And so we have the circumstances, the announcement, and the responses. And this, of course, is a story that 
we know well, right? This is the story where in Christian households, often this text will be read Christmas morning before the presents are open, or at least sometimes that will, that will happen anyways. And so this is, this is very well known at this time of the year, how Mary and Joseph go up from Nazareth to Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus issued this decree that the Roman Empire be, be registered. And so up they go to their ancestral home for this census. Now, we see in this the condition under which the Jewish people lived. Because of their unfaithfulness to God, they had lost their national independence. The royal line and house of David had been plucked off the throne hundreds of years before when Zedekiah was captured at the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. And though they had been able to return to their land by the blessing of God in the days of King Cyrus the Persian, under their Jewish leader and descendant of David, Zerubbabel, and they'd had a brief period of independence during the days of Judas Maccabeus, yet, nevertheless, most of their national experience after the Babylonian exile, even up to the days of the first century in which Jesus was born, could be described by the words of the prayer that we find in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 36 and 37 where the people prayed, Behold, we are slaves today. And as to the land which you gave to our fathers to eat of its fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves in it. Its abundant produce is for the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. So we are in great distress. That was the situation in the days of Nehemiah when the people had returned from exile and by and large that situation had continued on more or less for 500 years. The Jewish people were at the mercy of their overlords. Mary and Joseph, both of them descendants of the royal house of David, are not well off. Joseph is described in the New Testament as a carpenter. And so Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem in obedience to the dictates of a Roman Caesar. While they're there, Mary gives birth to her firstborn son. Now in the Gospel of Luke, leading up to this point, we have, Luke has told us of how the angel Gabriel has appeared to Mary, told her that she would conceive and give birth to a son, that she would give him the name Jesus, that he would be called the Son of the Most High, that the Lord God would give him the throne of his father David, and that his kingdom would have no end. And the Virgin Mary conceived and carried the baby, and the baby was born here in Bethlehem under humble circumstances. And because Bethlehem was so overrun with people, there's no room for Mary and Joseph. And so Jesus is laid in a manger. Jesus is laid in a feed box for the animals. Son of God, born into the world, and that's where he lay. These are the circumstances of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we ought to to notice in these things the the great providence of God overruling all of these circumstances. One commentator from olden times said, Augustus imagines that he is busied in the advancing of the glory of his name and the luster of his reign, and yet by his orders, by means of others more powerful and absolute than his, become subservient to the accomplishment of prophecies of which he is altogether ignorant, to the birth of a king whom he will never know, and the establishment of a monarchy 
which will subject his and all others to itself. Caesar Augustus had no clue that he happened to be the emperor at the time which the God of heaven had declared to be the fullness of time. He had no clue that an eternal king of an eternal kingdom was about to be born, nor that he was facilitating the fulfillment of prophecy concerning that king's birth when he ordered the people to return to their ancestral towns for the census. But it was so. He was doing all of those things. He was fulfilling the words of Micah, where Micah had prophesied, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you will go forth one for me to be ruler in Israel. And so I want you to observe in all of this the way in which God rules over all things in the world. Solomon of old had said that the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Indeed, the Lord does turn it wherever he wishes. And indeed, he did. God Almighty was ordering all of the events here just as he pleased to conform to his great plan of saving a people for himself. And so, friends, rest assured this morning that the God who orchestrated all of these events to bring his only begotten Son into the world is still sovereign today and still bringing his purposes to pass in the world. He still has the hearts of kings, even the hearts of all men in his hands. And just as it is true on the individual level that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus, it is also true on a cosmic level as well. The God who has begun this great work of redemption by sending his son into the world will bring this great plan to completion according to his grand designs. Which is to say that the gospel of his son will be proclaimed to all nations as a witness to them. The elect of God will be saved. They will be called, they will be justified, sanctified, and glorified. They will be protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be ready, ready to be revealed in the last times. The world that you and I live in seems tumultuous, sometimes seems out of control, probably seemed that way to Mary and Joseph also. But the craziness of the world notwithstanding, and the, the difficulties of our personal circumstances notwithstanding. Nevertheless, the Lord is still at work, still using forces that are opposed to his authority as his agents to bring about his appointed ends. And so, my friend, I want you to allow the circumstances of the birth of Jesus to be an encouragement and a comfort to you this morning, wherever you happen to be at. I know that for some of you, this may have been a doozy of a year in some way or another, to speak technically, right? A doozy of a year. But I want you to know that though things may seem out of control, it may seem that no one is calling the shots, nevertheless, that is not true. In his mysterious providence, the Lord used a pagan emperor to bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so that the son of David would be born where he was supposed to be born the same God who orchestrated this event for the praise of his glory is the same God who is orchestrating the steps of our lives as well. We can trust the Lord and we can depend upon him that his plans are good. This baby boy who was born in poverty, who had no stately form that we should look upon him, this same glorious person is the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so be encouraged here by the, the providence of God, which we see in the, the circumstances of Christ's birth there in verses 1 through 7. Now let's look ahead to, to verse 8 and following as Luke moves on now to speak of the angels who appeared uh, to the shepherds. These shepherds were certainly not great men by earthly standards. Their occupation and their status in society put them, put them at the low end of the totem pole. And other than what we find in these few verses here, from, from verse 8 to verse 20, we know nothing about these men. We don't know what their previous lives were like. We don't know what their subsequent life was like. We don't know if they were generally devout Jewish men or not. They, uh, they received uh, the word from the angel as being the word of the Lord, and we're told that they, they glorified God and praised him for, for what had been told them. And so we're, we're given great hope concerning, uh, concerning their devoutness, but we, we don't know much about these men. But yet it was to these men, lowly though they were, that these messengers of God appeared, bringing good news of great joy, which would be for all the people. That is to say, for all of the people who would receive it, for all of the people who feared the name of the Lord, for all those who were like Simeon and Anna, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. It's good news for them. But on the other hand... The announcement of Christ's birth, though it is a good thing in and of itself, it's good news, it was not received as such by the wicked. If you think back to the Gospel of Matthew, just think how Herod and the city of Jerusalem responded when they heard the news that the king of the Jews had been born and that the Magi had come wanting to worship him, wanting to know where to find him. Matthew chapter 2, verse 3 tells us that when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The news of Jesus' birth is objectively good news, but for those who reject Jesus and for those who despise him, the good news is something that they fear, something that troubles them, something that they hate, because it's news that brings judgment. As we saw the last couple of weeks as we were looking at Malachi chapter 3 and Malachi 4, the, the coming of the day of the Lord is a blessing to those who receive the Lord, but it's a message of judgment to those who do not receive the Lord, to those who are arrogant in their hearts. It's a a day of judgment for them. But what was this message that these angels brought to the shepherds? It was the announcement that in the city of David, someone was born. Let's look especially there to verse 11. Verse 11, uh, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I want us to notice four things there in verse 11. The baby who was born is said to be a savior. He is said to be Christ. He is said to be Lord. And then the fourth thing is that the angel says he's been born for you. So he's the savior, he's Christ, he's Lord, and he's been born for you. And so this baby is a savior. These Shepherds, though certainly uneducated, probably by worldly standards, surely they knew their national history, the history of their ancestors. Surely they knew how God had called Abram and 
had set him apart and promised to give him the land. Surely they knew of their enslavement in Egypt for 400 years and how God had raised up a deliverer, Moses, and brought the people out with a strong arm and with the plagues and the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea and all of the rest. Surely they knew of God raising up Joshua to succeed Moses and to lead the nation in the conquest of the promised land. Surely they knew of the greatness of David and of the wickedness of many of the kings who had followed and knew about the the exile as a result of that wickedness and how virtually ever since the exile they'd been subjugated to foreign powers. Surely even these lowly shepherds out there in the open country outside of Bethlehem were acquainted with these things of their, of their national history. And as such, they knew that things were not right. Things were not well with their nation. Surely also they knew that things were not right with them as individuals. Surely the law had been taught to them in such a way that they knew that. If they were out in the fields near Bethlehem, they were not far from Jerusalem, just a few miles off, And they knew that sacrifices were offered in the temple because of guilt and sin. Perhaps even the very lambs which they were raising would have been sold, perhaps, to to travelers, Jewish travelers coming to Jerusalem to, to offer sacrifice at the temple. These men surely knew of the sacrificial system. And they knew that sacrifices were offered because of guilt and sin. Now it may be that they had very inadequate ideas come into their minds when the angel said that a Savior was born. But surely they knew that they needed a Savior. Surely this news that he was a Savior was welcome news. A little reflection on all that their national experience had taught these people would have made it clear that they needed a Savior. And so a heavenly angel announcing the birth of a Savior would not have been greeted with a, meh, okay, whatever, this would not have been the response of, the sh- of any earnest Jewish man. They knew that they needed help. Maybe they didn't quite understand the manner in which they needed help, but they knew they needed it. And so surely the news that a Savior had come would have been good news for them. And likewise, they were told that this baby who had been born was the Christ, and this would have been significant for them. This was the promise that had kept their Hope alive in the darkest of days as a nation. The prophets of the Old Testament had spoken of this again and again. Moses had spoken of a prophet like him whom the Lord would raise up. There were the promises to David in 2 Samuel 7, of which Mark read for us earlier, of how David's house and kingdom would be enduring forever before the Lord and that his throne would be established forever. You see it in in the later prophets like Isaiah about this this root springing up from the stem of Jesse, a branch from his roots which would bear fruit, Isaiah 11.1. You see it in Jeremiah, through whom the Lord declared, Behold, the days are coming that I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice in the land. Ezekiel, too, had prophesied of Christ when the Lord spoke through him, saying, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, And he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. The point is is that these Jewish people knew that the Messiah was coming. 
And it wasn't just the rabbis and the priests who knew. The common people knew it. Even, even the Samaritans, who were not quite religiously orthodox, knew that the Messiah was coming. Just think of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. She said, I know that Messiah is coming. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. They knew that Messiah was coming. And now these poor, humble, working men received the news of the birth of a baby, a Savior who is Christ. The long-awaited hope of their nation had come. He's the Savior, he's Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, and he is Lord. He is Christ the Lord. To say that he's Lord is to say that he's ruler. He's the one who is in charge. And this had been prophesied of old concerning the, uh, the son of David being Lord in, uh, in the days of Haggai when the temple was, was being rebuilt. Zerubbabel was the governor of the people in those days and the Lord had spoke to Haggai saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and, and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of kingdoms and nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders will go down, every one by the sword of another. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts." Now in that prophecy, at the end of the book of Haggai, the Lord was announcing a coming day, a day in which he would shake the heavens and the earth, that he was going to overthrow kingdoms and nations and the powers that be. In short, there was a day of judgment that was coming. But that prophecy was addressed particularly to Zerubbabel. And the Lord says there in Haggai 2.23, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. And the sum and substance of that prophecy then is that in the end times, there's going to be a man who is the servant of the Lord, who would be like a signet ring, because the Lord had chosen him. Now, if you think back to what a signet ring was in the, the days of the old kings, it was a symbol of authority. The signet ring bore the stamp of the king, and the one who had the signet ring was effectively in charge of the kingdom. If you think back to the book of, of Esther, you, this becomes clear. When the king gave the signet ring to Haman, it meant that Haman was going to be calling the shots as far as official government policy was concerned. And when, the, and when the king took that ring away from Haman, gave it to Mordecai, means that now that Mordecai is going to be in charge and calling the shots. And thus, according to Haggai, when the Lord shakes the heavens and the earth in the end times, there's going to be a man who is like a signet ring. There would be a man who is precious and preserved as a signet ring would be. There would be a man functioning as the authoritative voice of God. There was going to come a man, in short, who would be calling the shots for God. And this is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. As Matthew Henry put it, our Lord Jesus is the signet ring on God's right hand, for all power is given to him and derived from him. And even though Haggai refers in prophecy to this 
coming one as Zerubbabel. We need not think that it's the identical person of Zerubbabel who is in view. Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, is an ancestor according to the flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ. He appears in the genealogies of Christ. Inasmuch as Zerubbabel is a son of David himself and is a leader of the people of God, he's a forerunner and a type of Christ. And this is certainly within the bounds of biblical prophecy to refer to a coming figure by the name of a person who was a type of the one who was to come. We considered last week in Malachi 4 how the reference to John the Baptist in Malachi was referred to as Elijah, that Elijah was coming. And the New Testament makes clear that this was John the Baptist. And so likewise, when we read in Haggai that Shealtiel would be this this signet ring. It's ultimately referring to the greatest son of Shealtiel, our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ the Lord. Haggai had prophesied this authoritative figure who was coming. And thus it is that Jesus, a descendant of Zerubbabel, is the one who's going to call the shots. He is the one in authority when God shakes all nations at the end of time. He will execute God's justice and God's vengeance against sin. He is the one to whom all power in heaven and on earth is given. And thus it is that the angel refers here to this newborn baby as Lord. He's the Savior. He's Christ the Lord. And the angel also says that this baby was born for you. This baby who is Savior, who is Christ the Lord, was born for you, for your benefit and your blessing, born for your salvation. Not only has he been born, but he's born for you. And I can say the same to each and every one of you here this morning as the gospel is preached, is that Jesus is born for your benefit and for your blessing and for your salvation. If you will come to him in repentance of your sins and in true faith, he will save you from the wrath of God which is coming upon the world. But again, this is only good news if you will receive it, if you will believe it and act in accordance with it. If you are too proud, too self-sufficient, or too in love with your sins to turn away from them, or whatever reason, whatever other reason you may put forward for refusing to come to Christ on his terms and trust in him, if you do that, this news which is good in itself is not good news for you. This is because the Savior who is born is Christ the Lord. He's the one who is in charge. He's the one who will judge the living and the dead when he returns in glory. And so, in short, don't let this good news become bad news for you. Rather, come to Christ on his terms. Receive this Savior, who is Christ the Lord, who is born for you. And also rejoice in all that that means. Because this means that God loves you. That he would send his only son to take on flesh in the womb of Mary and be born for you. Rejoice that Jesus is Savior. He is the deliverer that we need. He's the only one who could deliver us from Satan and from sin and from death from the wrath of God which is due to come because of our sins. He is Christ, the promised anointed one. He's our prophet, our priest, and our king. And he's Lord. He is in charge of heaven and earth, and we must submit to him as such.
Calvin put it so well when he said, let us learn, therefore, to submit to him if we would be true Christians. If we want to enjoy the blessings he brings, he must be our Lord and have full dominion over us. And this can only be when we give him our obedience. May it be so with us that we give our full obedience to Christ and submit to him in all things. Now let's notice lastly in verses 15 through 20 this this fitting response that we see on the part of the shepherds and of Mary. After the shepherds had heard this wonderful news about the birth of Jesus, they went to see for themselves. They, They said, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They heard this wonderful news from the angels. They knew that it was from the Lord and they wanted to see it for themselves. And so they did. They went and saw. And in going to Christ and seeing him there, we find in verse 17 that they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. They had heard this baby is a savior, that he's Christ, the Lord, and they started telling people there. People they saw there at the... uh, At the barn, people they saw in town, Mary and Joseph likely also were among those whom the shepherds shared this news with. And the report of what the shepherds had seen and heard out in the fields brought a sense of wonder to those who heard. Look at verse 18. All who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. There was a sense of wonderment in what they had heard. This this all sounded so strange. Could it be that after 400 years of silence, 400 years in which there had not been a prophetic voice speaking to the nation, that now the Lord was visiting his people again and bringing about the fulfillment of his promises? Could it be that at long last the Christ has come? And so the shepherds came and told what they had seen and heard. And it had a great effect on those with whom they conversed. It made them think. And even Mary, as we see in verse 19, was was treasuring up all of these things and pondering them in her heart. She's, She's thinking about these things. If you think back on the previous nine months of her life, it had been a whirlwind of a ride. She had a visit from Gabriel. She had a... uh, betrothed who had had an angel visit him. There was a surprising birth of a baby to her elderly relative, Elizabeth. And now these circumstances of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem where she has to place her newborn baby in an animal feed box. And then on top of that, there's these shepherds who show up who had heard this message from the angels and now these shepherds show up saying, hey, this is, this is what we heard about your baby boy. This, there's, there's a lot to take in for, for Mary. A lot to think about. A virgin birth, this baby being the son of the Most High, Savior, Christ the Lord, named Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Can you imagine being in Mary's position, knowing all of these things, and yet maybe not quite knowing, probably not quite knowing, how these things are going to work themselves out in time? It was a lot to treasure in one's heart. It was a lot to sit back and ponder and wonder how how was the Lord going to be working in all of these things. 
And then notice how we see the shepherds departing there in verse 20. We're told that they went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. We're told that these men worshipped God on account of what they had seen and heard. It was also wonderful to them. And out of the overflow of their heart flowed this, this worship to God. And so we've seen here the response of telling others how the, how the shepherds went, told what they had heard concerning Christ. We've seen the response of pondering as, as the others kind of wondered at what they had been told and Mary treasured these things in her heart and pondered them. And we've seen the response of praise, how these shepherds worshipped God. And all of these responses are worthy of our imitation as we remember afresh this morning the coming of Jesus Christ the Lord. And so as God grants us opportunity, let's not shrink from sharing this good news with others. May God give us also all hearts that are amazed by this, even as their hearts were. Now, obviously, we know how God was working, how God was going to, to work out this plan, because we can, we can look at the history of the Gospels, and we, we know what God was doing. But nevertheless, it should still stir up a sense of wonder and awe in our hearts. And so let's take some time, sometime, maybe today, maybe another day, to Turn this over in our hearts and minds afresh and think about what it means for us and for the world that this Savior, Christ the Lord, was born. And let's also worship God for what He has done. He is the Mighty One and He has done great things. He's given us His only begotten Son. God became man for us in order to save us. So let's give Him all praise and glory. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this good news of the coming of Christ. We pray, Lord, that this would never be old news to us, but that it would be lovely and fresh and that it would strengthen and encourage us knowing that the Savior has come, that Christ has come for us. Lord, we pray that we would give our lives in obedience to him Pray that we'd worship in spirit and truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.